Gothic storytelling, monsters, blood magic, a girl who can talk to the gods and wield their powers, and coming to learn that all you've thought your whole life could be wrong. These are just some of the awesome elements in Wicked Saints by Emily A. Duncan. This is her debut novel, and it was an instant New York Times bestseller, and there's a reason for that. This book is amazing. Uh, I've wanted to talk to Emily about it ever since I heard the title and read the blurb. There was so much buzz in the book community about this book, and for good reason. Um, I've been sick. You can actually still hear it in my voice a little bit. And Emily's been busy with her new release events, but we finally managed to sync up a little bit of time to chat. She is delightful, and we talk about her life outside of books, uh, how she developed the different elements of the story, and the surprising way that she writes, which shocked even me. Uh, it's very unusual, or it's more uncommon than you'd think, and it's interesting to talk to someone who actually does this. So we talk about all this and more on this new episode of the Inkfeather podcast. But before we jump in, here's a quick summary for those of you who may never have listened to an episode before. My name is Lauren, and I love fantasy and sci-fi, and I have been reviewing books and interviewing authors for over a decade, and so I decided to start this podcast because I really wanted to get inside the heads of the authors who create these amazing books that we all love and bring some support to their stories. So... Um, so this is all author interviews with the occasional industry pro, one of which will be actually coming up in the next couple of weeks. I interviewed a good friend of mine who is a literary agent and has some amazing clients and talks kind of through that process. So that's coming up. But yeah, the Ink Feather podcast is all authors all the time, pretty much all books all the time and only fantasy and sci-fi. So, all right. So now let's jump into the interview with Emily. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the Ink Feather podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm really stoked to have you. For those of you listening, we have been trying to coordinate this for like a month, seriously. And then like, <laughs> she got crazy. And then I got the flu. And it's been like, hi, are you still there? Are you still interested? So I'm so glad we finally managed to sit down and talk about her debut book, which was an instant New York Times bestseller, Wicked Saints. It is so awesome. Oh my gosh, it is ever since I heard about this book, I, was like, I need to talk to this girl. And your whole vibe is really cool. If you guys aren't following her on social media, you totally should. I love what you post. You're always like, even your Instagram aesthetics, like all black and white for the most part, you know, like it's it just a cool vibe. So I work very hard on it. <laughs> you know, having a cohesive Instagram feed is no joke. People are always like, it's hard. It is hard because I, I've made a valiant effort in the past year or so to really get good at like a book one and Oh my god, yeah. I'm, I'm always like, oh, I have to post something new today, and it has to not look like crap, you know? Like there's a there's a metal artist that I follow, and she will. I don't know how she does this. She always posts in color blocks of like four pictures. So like four pictures will be like orange tinted, and then the next four blue tinted, and it makes her feet look amazing. And I can't figure out how she does it. Wow, that's planning. Holy crap. Yeah, I've been friendly with Beth Revis for a long time, author Beth Revis, mm -hmm. and she's started adding some cohesiveness, but she made me laugh like last week. Cause she's got like one picture she posts is like a video with writing tips. One picture she posts has like a circle cut out. And then one is just a regular picture or something. And she was like, Oh crap. I messed up my algorithm thing. I messed up my system. <laughs> like she like got mad at herself. She's like, okay, here's that picture again. But like in the way it's supposed to be. And it, I was just like, dude, it's okay. She's like, yeah, I know. I like the way it looks, but it's just, you know, it's, it's work. So yeah, it's, that's really funny. But I mean, 
I guess before we dig into this book, I was just reading about your, you know, your bio and stuff. It sounds like you do a lot of really cool stuff. You're a youth librarian. You are D&D. And you actually said to me uh, earlier, for those of you listening, I was like, hey, we need a good headset. If you have one, she's like, oh, yeah, I have one for my D&D podcast. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Uh So you have a lot of really cool things that you do. So like, tell me, tell me a little bit about, you know, non-writing you. Like, what are your things that you're into? I do so many. I both do so many things and I don't do a lot of, like, I only leave my apartment to go to work. So, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I work full time as a youth services librarian, um, which means I more or less live at the library and I do a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I don't like, okay, I am not the one that's like editing it. That is our wonderful DM, Margaret Owen, the author of The Merciful Crow, which comes out in July. But it's a podcast with a bunch of other YA authors. Um, And so I play a very anxious tiefling warlock, and it's called Spellcheck, and it's a grand time. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. And that must be so much fun for people who like to listen along to if they're fans to hear you guys yeah. kind of going through the going through the system there. Um, wow. And youth librarian. So obviously, you know, books are a thing <laughs> in your life. Yep. So I actually saw you posting to I think was it oh, was it Lee Bardugo maybe that posted like she's been a fan since like siege and storm days or something was it you oh yeah so you're me yeah i thought i remember being like oh that's cool because you know i i I as well have been a follower and a fan and an interview of hers for years and and whatnot and um it's just cool to see i guess people who have been interested in this field this industry and and in the fandoms and the passion of a you know fantasy ya book community to actually see you go from fan to best-selling author that must be like mind-blowingly awesome it's it's so weird (laughs) so your book's been out I was gonna say your book's been out a couple weeks now does it feel like I don't know are you kind of taking a breather because um today on social media you said like it's the first day you've had off in a while you're playing video games listening to audiobooks but are you like do you have stuff coming up are you finally able to like take a breather with your I don't know touring traveling running around to different events yeah, things are finally slowing down. Like it was the the week that the book came out was um a lot of running around. I had a bunch of events all that week. And then I had like kind of a break, but also I work, so I was at work all week. Mm-hmm. Um and then off that week, I was just in Texas for TLA, mm. which was amazing but also exhausting. Like mm-hmm. and so I have a few more things, like, I have a few more Ohio events set up, but, um, well, I have one. I have one more thing. (laughs) And then I don't have anything, hopefully for a bit, because I have to write book three, so I need time to do that. Well, at least you're not (laughs) only working on book two right now, because that would be way more pressure. It's true. Book two is functionally complete, which is nice. That is great. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's just actually talk about Wicked Saints. First of all, holy crap, this book is beautiful. <laughs> it's so pretty. It is so pretty. Like, I cannot believe how pretty it is. <laughs> I get a lot of books, and holy crap, even I was like, wow, this book, it has like turquoise foil, and the paper's like matted. It has those unfinished edges. 
It's yeah. got damask printing on the on each chapter. I I'm holding it right now, and I love it. I think they did an the amazing spine. Yes, it has I, her face and like the oh my, spine is so good. It is a beautiful <laughs> book. Oh my gosh! So I guess for those listening who maybe haven't read this book or maybe curious, what do you? How do you kind of pitch it to people? What do you tell them about it? Like, <laughs> oh, you wrote a book. What? Tell me about it. I. God, I have this pitch nailed. I tell, because I get asked at work all the time, especially because oh, that makes we sense. had like, yeah. yeah, and we had a, like my coworkers had a countdown going on a whiteboard in the uh-huh. teen room. So like I couldn't escape. Um, <laughs> I could be anonymous if I wanted to, but I pitch it as a dark fantasy set in medieval fantasy, Russia and Poland um, about a girl who can talk to the gods and that's how she gets her magic. And when she is forced to flee the monastery where she grew up, she has to team up with two just terrible blood mage boys to try to assassinate a king of the enemy kingdom and stop a holy war. And I just have to say, I when I was at TLA, I did this thing where um, you're paired with another author and you go around t- tables of librarians pitching your book. And I am... I am so weary of this pitch now after doing it like 14 times in a row. <laughs> oh man. Well, I mean, it's a good descriptor. I wonder if there's a way you like think up your pitch or re reword it. So it doesn't like feel, right? it feels fresher to you be like, how can I tell the same story in a different way? Okay. Let's see. Well, there's a girl and right. there's these two boys and there's magic and yeah. Whole war, a lot of blood, cosmic horror. It's fine. It is. It's, you know, <laughs> and in the in the description, it's gothic fantasy is kind of the term. And, like, yes. it, it definitely fits that vibe. I mean, you said dark fantasy, but it has that, you know, like, what defines a gothic fantasy is just a, a creepy kind of dark feeling and, like, vibes that are intense and, like, strong emotions. Mm-hmm. And it definitely fits within that category. It's um, mm-hmm. It kind of hits the ground running and doesn't stop, I find. Even the low moments are emotionally charged um yeah because if they're not running or doing something you know (laughs) to help do what they the goal and the end goal is to like you said they're pairing up to to you know do this big thing uh Mm -hmm. then they're having to deal with each other (laughs) and yeah you know people who are raised essentially to believe these you know you're the enemy and now all of a sudden you have to be friendly and work together and interact and trust and there's so Mm -hmm. much there um when you were making the foundations of the book were was Mm -hmm. that something that from the beginning was that a core part of how it developed or was it more just like (laughs) oh I like this cool magic and I want to see what happens or um no because when I first so I first came up with the idea when I was in college um, and it was only like a fraction of the story. Um, it wasn't until much later that I pulled together um, the Chernobyl side of the book and like the Polish world building and all that. Um, but I kept trying to write the book and it kept like not working. So I had to figure out what was missing. Mm. Um, And it kind of grew from a story about a girl who can talk to gods into this broader, broader just mess of (laughs) very tired kids who have been taught very specific things about other people having to come to terms with the fact that maybe those Mm. things aren't actually true. 
isn't that relevant right. to life though? Like, oh my gosh. I mean, it's that's what that's the fun thing about fantasy is you can take things that you can take things and blow them like a little further out of proportion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you you do it well because I mean, pretty early on, um, our main character Nadia and one of these blood mage, terrible blood mage boys, kind of form, worst. form an easy alliance, I guess you could say, an uneasy alliance. Pretty quickly on, you know, she has to learn to trust him, or like they're all gonna be screwed. And so, yeah. it you do it well, but I mean, that would be really hard, I think, emotionally, because literally everything, especially because she is who she is. Um, you know, you said she's a she's someone who can talk to the gods, but um, for more clarity for those of you listening, so this is something that has existed in this world, but there's no record of someone who can talk to all of the gods, and she can. So yeah. there's been people in the past who each god has like their person and that they can commune with and maybe give them their powers within that pantheon of like, okay, well, I, I'm with the god of the sky and I get those powers or whatever, but she mm-hmm. can literally, she has a necklace with all their beads on it and she touches it and goes, hey, yo, can you help me with silence or whatever you know what I mean like and and it's like the crotchety old one is like oh I hate you but okay here you go like you know but some of the gods like her and like I think one of the early scenes she's woken up by the guards like gods like arguing in her head and she was like shut up like it made me me laugh I was like that she's like oh I probably should tell the gods to shut up but you know like the fact that she's got them all in her heads um that must have been really fun to play with because you've got all these different magics that you can pull. It's both super fun. And it's like a huge challenge because you don't want your protagonist to be overwhelmed by this cast of characters that are all just hanging out, hanging around in her head. (laughs) And it's also, it's a challenge. I work best um, when my magic systems are super limited. And so it was a challenge to work with Nadia in particular, because I, she can technically do anything and that's why there are the limiters of like well yeah she can if the gods decide that they want to help her with that um so i needed some kind of limiter on what she can do or it would just get ridiculous and it sounds like sometimes like the 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 one i just referenced i think i remember thinking it specifically because it was such a cool magic it was she asked for silence and like they couldn't talk they, there was no, mm-hmm. no like nothing about them made any noise and I was like well that would actually mm-hmm. be kind of freaky like just our movement of our clothes and our hair brushing us like things that we don't even notice like I think I would be freaked yeah. out by that a little bit I mean it'd be awesome if I needed it but but her thing was like oh he never helps me I don't even know why I'm asking and he did and 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 like her her internal dialogue of these relationships she's built with these deities over the years mm-hmm. um yeah it was really fascinating I mean when you were creating the, the pantheon of, of these gods, were was it something that you just gleefully made up? Or were these pulled from, like, Russian and Polish history? Because a lot of that's Christianity. But, I mean, mm-hmm. if you go way back, it, you know, I don't know. How, how did that work for you? There, okay, so it's very complicated because I'm not fluent in Russian or Polish. And <laughs> it's, like, kind of well, it's, like, a well-known thing in Slavic pagan like internet communities that everything that is in English about that is incorrect. Um, So if you read anything on like Wikipedia about Slavic paganism, it's probably wrong. And so I didn't want to be pulling actual Slavic deities because those are, those are real religions. Like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to touch that. And so um, some of them have, some of them are recognizable to their um, Slavic counterparts. Marzenia is the most like obvious one, mm-hmm. 
Um, her name is only like slightly different from the actual goddess. But when it came down to it, like I looked at a lot of resources and I researched that a lot. But because I was building the magic system alongside the Pantheon, um, it was more a matter of, okay, what kind, like what kind of magic do I need? Mm. And how will that line up with the gods? The cast of gods that I have. Yeah, yeah. so you're like working backward from for what the story is, which makes sense. <clears throat> and yeah. the fact that you said you're limiting it, you know, there's like this level of always like unknown, like, yeah, I think they'll help me, but you never really know if they're yeah. actually going to give me that power. And like, I could see that being fun to write but also like you said even with you working backwards from what you need like putting that challenge on yourself that would be really cool yeah you kind of split the magic system between these two peoples i did why <laughs> why did you i love how you're laughing i haven't even said it i just said why and you're like oh dude <laughs> yes it's fun to read i will say that i'm enjoying yeah them having to experience each other being like oh god he cuts himself and then sticks his hand on the wall and how is he not dead because he's bleeding out of his arm and oh what's <laughs> happening you know but the and the main i mean the main motivator at least how again i don't want to go too much away as we, the book goes on but like basically they all used to believe in the gods and then these people didn't want the what they felt were chains that held them to the gods the obligations mm -hmm. and so that's how they broke off and now they have this, they've developed this ability to use magic through their own blood and these like blood spells that they've written in little books that they carry around and which I thought was really cool. And honestly, if I had to pick, I mean, belief aside, I would think I would pick the blood over the God thing because having Everybody that, says that. <laughs> having that control, I just think instinctually, but then at the same time, it's like, it would also be really freaking cool to, to know that you have this connection with this higher power that has yeah. your back, you know, like, what about you? Do you have, would you, do you feel one way or the other? Every, I, um, someone on Instagram posed that question and I had a great time scrolling through the comments and literally everyone was like blood magic, obviously. Um, because I think it's a very like human, like inclination to want that kind of thing under your own control. Yes. Um, and that was when, because I had the whole Kalyazi half of the book built long before the Trinavian half. And so when I was figuring out what I was going to do with that side, a lot of it came up in um, working in opposites. So if I have this divine magic, what's going to be the exact opposite to that? And mm. that would be the sense of control. The human element. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. Also blood magic, obviously. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's so much fun. It's really cool. And <laughs> it is really cool. And it's even even or, you know, even they're like, oh, that's kind of neat that you can do that. Like they're like, like yes. the as they're even as they're learning about each other being kind of like, oh, what do you you can do what now? Like, yeah. it's kind of neat to see them, you know, these these enemies kind of discovering what, you know, these commonalities and also but slightly different about each of their own powers and helps them that way. So especially like. Malachias just likes magic, like just conceptually. So with, with with him, the way her magic, like the way she gets it isn't like, he thinks it's weird, but like he's really fascinated just like the things that she can do that he can't. Mm -hmm. It's like a, almost like on a scientific level, like of wanting yeah. to study her. I agree with that. Yeah. Because it is, it's it's kind of fascinating, if, especially if that's 
something that's part of your identity and you see someone doing it mm -hmm. in an unfamiliar way, I could see that being like, oh, how are you? How? How is that the thing? <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. So you also have uh, super creepy villains that are kind of monsters, but like basically peoples that have turned into monsters. Yeah. You did a really good job adding the fear factor with these things. There is this from the ground running, there's like, oh my God, they're the vultures, which makes me laugh because actually I'm a bird nerd and vultures are my uh -huh. favorite. They're my favorite birds. So I'm like, they're not evil. They're just, they're just so nice. They're I, such sweet birds. I actually do but love also, vultures. Like, <laughs> I do too. But like, it was such a like, I can't, I don't really, like that was a decision to call them that. I don't even remember why. I decided that and it was one of those things that like I made the decision and then was like well I, I hope I find something when I'm researching that's gonna back this one up and I did I found like a handful of poems by some Polish poet and that had like a lot of vulture imagery mm. but yeah I love vultures too <laughs> yay for vultures we can talk vultures <laughs> later but it but at the same time we're we're the great minority there and most people hear vulture and they go oh it's awful mm -hmm. and, you know it does evoke a sense of creepiness or fear or uh, you know a st there's a stigma yeah. to that word so that's it's a good thing to call your monsters I mean I'm gonna just say that because they mm -hmm. are really just creepy scary yeah too. what was that like putting them into the story when you sat down to go okay ha, 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 I'm gonna make this awful <laughs> thing like how did they come into being I guess so Polish folklore is a lot creepier than Russian mm. and Polish folklore is got a lot of vampires in it. Cool. And so there's already, there's already this kind of, I don't want to say obsession with blood, but there's a lot of mm -hmm. vampires in Polish folklore. <laughs> and so, and like, so I didn't set out to, to write something that was like vampire adjacent. Um, it's just that like, it's there. Yeah. And so if you're reading a bunch of Russian folktales, like it's going to come up. And I wanted, I just, I just wanted to play with something really creepy. And I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to remember that. It's been so long since I've read the book. That scene where they first show up um, didn't like change. Like the, when it happened, it changed in revision, but the actual scene itself, um, especially of Rose's appearance mm. did not really change from the first time that I wrote it mm. because I knew that I wanted, I wanted this, cult they're a cult mm -hmm. that have moved so pa so much further past the limitations that blood mages have because you can if you're a blood mage you can only cast as much magic as you can bleed before you bleed out yeah. essentially but the vultures that's not true anymore for them and so what do you get when you have crossed a threshold yeah and like a reasonable limiter on some scope of power. And a lot of times it's a very bad thing when yes. you cross those, those thresholds. Well, and, and thinking about it too, like I honestly think one of the creepiest things about it for me was that these were people that they just, mm -hmm. they started out as someone who could have been somebody's friend, mother, father, son, you know, like a relatable and human. They look so normal. And then all of a sudden, but like they're just there's nothing in there anymore. They're just yeah. it's they've crossed this boundary of into like evil, essentially. And just like you said, yeah. they've given up those limitations and it's pushed them and it's yeah, I don't know, just something about them from the get go 
in my like how I guess how I process fear I mean I, I definitely give credit to your writing and the vibe that you created in this <laughs> Thank book you. for sure yeah. but you I thought that their their foundation of realism and like you said they look unoffensive they look like not like the evil that they are and mm-hmm. it's just that's scary it's scary to think that they oh my god they could be a, you know they could be anyone we know I mean they're not but you know what I mean it's just that idea of yeah foundation and familiarity being completely un, un, you know, taken away. The thing that I like, um, because I didn't start out, like I didn't start out writing the series and think, Oh, this is going to be horror. It's that's the direction that it's gone in. But I find that I really like benign horror. Like the idea that something is just, just off enough, just slightly off enough that it's, that it's horrifying. Something yeah. that is just normal but slightly to the left and that makes it unsettling. And I like playing with those kinds of things a lot. Yeah. I, you did a really good job. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed them and they very much kind of the, the vibe of them freaked me out. So yeah. Excellent. <laughs> so I guess before we go on to talking about books two and three, I wanted to ask about the actual writing. You jump point of views mm-hmm. in this book. Was that, huh? hard for you to do because you're getting from you know you're jumping sexes you're jumping cultures Mm -hmm. you're jumping obviously voices so yes was that a challenge did you feel one of them more strongly than the other or did it kind of just go smoothly from the beginning they god those two they both have completely different challenges Mm -hmm. um seraphin's voice is a lot easier for me to write for no particular reason than he's the character that i think is the most similar to me um but he doesn't like doing things he's very hard to get moving um a lot of the times i have to just force him along with the plot that's funny he's very he's so frustrating um but nadia it's a lot easier plot wise to get her going but voice wise she was a lot harder for me there was a lot there there was a i struggled a lot in the early attempts in having her voice not be super distant like having it be too <laughs> just, pulled away from her. I just heard your kitty and it was awesome. <laughs> Did you hear? Your little tiny <laughs> start yelling at me. Tiny little meow. That's okay. I have a cat <laughs> running around here somewhere too, but that's just you're talking real serious, like Nadia it was so hard to write. <laughs> Anyways, back to Nadia. You're saying you had a your hard time creating her voice in when yeah. you first started in what way? It was always too distant. It was really hard getting in her head. Like connecting. And I think it's be- yeah, I think it's because she has so many other voices to compete with mm. that it took a while to figure out like what was going on with her. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that, I mean that makes sense because you're you've also got to have the different flavors with all the gods that you're hearing in her head. Mm-hmm. So it's really not just her point of view, even though it is. It's we're getting insight to a lot of other internal dialogue with other major characters yeah. in a way. So, huh? Yeah, I could actually see that being quite a challenge. So your book two is essentially done and you're working yeah. on book three right now. Yes. How is the process going? Are you happy with the direction? Are you feeling like, <sighs> oh my God, are you like in the trenches right now? Or I love book two. Um, I love it more than, than book one, Ooh. which I didn't think was going to happen. Wow. And the, the thing is, is that the way that the trilogy is structured. So book one is Nadia's book, even though there are multiple points of view, like the focus of the main arc is on her. Mm-hmm. Um, book two is Seraphin's book. So there continue to be, it's it's still split points of view, though there are 
other points of view that we get into in book two. Hmm. But the focus of the arc is, is a little little bit more on him. Um, he still doesn't like to do anything, so I had the exact same struggle as I did with book <laughs> one, but it's fine. It's whatever. Uh, that's um, funny. <laughs> he's a nightmare. Uh, and then book three is um, Malachi Ashes. So I am, like, I don't plot. I don't outline. I just kind of go and hope for the best. Really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Holy crap. That actually causes me anxiety because like the complexities <laughs> of this story. I mean, uh-huh. I could see doing that on like a base level, but like, oh my gosh, I can't even fathom. Oh, like, yeah. You're just like, I'm going to just write and see what comes out of me. Wow. Well, good to see what happens. Good job, girl. Cause this book's awesome. Thank, thank you. Um, <laughs> the second one, uh, it was very stressful, but the ending of the second one is, um, incredibly dramatic and so my my not like not plotting and not outlining like brings its own levels of stress because it means that I pitch a lot of drafts yeah that makes sense because you want to see which trail you go down and that Mm -hmm. one's not quite right yeah I wrote a whole hundred thousand word draft of book two and pitched the entire thing and just started from scratch (laughs) wow that was a very stressful time last year, Jeez, but yeah. it meant that by the time I had a draft to hand to my editor, like I had figured out all of the structural issues, Gotcha. but by not outlining, I tend to discover things along the way and people think that I planned them, but I didn't. I it love just that. Happens. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, this podcast is all interviews with authors and the occasional like book pro, like I talk uh-huh. to an agent friend and all this stuff. But like, I find very few authors just write like that. And I love that that's a way that you've been able to create well, such a rich story. It's so hard to do yeah. when you have such constrained deadlines. Yeah. Um, it gets to the point where how fast can you do that? And a lot of authors find that well, you can't. Mm-hmm. But when when it came down to it, like I like I tried to outline the second book and I it ended up like I didn't like the outlines or anytime I did outline, by the time I got to the outlined parts, I decided that that was the wrong direction or mm. a character will do something that'll toss the whole outline out the window and then what's the point? I just wasted 2 weeks on an outline that didn't work. I would rather write a whole draft and pitch it then spend a month on an outline and not have anything more concrete when I discover that I've been going in the wrong direction. I get that logic. Yeah. I definitely, even though, like I said, that feels counterintuitive to me. That makes sense. Like if that's how you're wired, you want to see, and if if part of, like you said, things that felt planned that just kind of came up, but that's, what's awesome about art. Like so many things you're just like, just kind of come out of your head, like bypass your brain and then come out, of your fingers and you're like, whoa, that was awesome. Where did that come from? Your, your subconscious is doing so much work and you have no idea. That's amazing. I'm sure you're very proud of this book, but that's just so awesome to be like, look at this thing I birthed from my mind. That is awesome. Uh, I, I, that this book and to, to, without spoiling anything, the one clear problem character, when I was drafting this book, the drafting process was me thinking I knew what was going on and this character turning around and being like, okay, I was lying for the past four chapters and uh, this is actually the situation. But then that would just keep happening every like seven chapters until you get (laughs) to the end and that character's like, actually, 
everything I've told you up till now was also a lie. And then I had this just trail of garbage fires behind me that I then had to figure out how to weave together, Mm. which made for a very dramatic ending. Yes. But it's also a very stressful drafting process. (laughs) So you are, you said you, we've talked about this earlier, but you spent the day chilling and listening Mm -hmm. to books. I'm also a big audiobook person. I actually, um, have a copy of your book but I also bought the audio because I was like I love like hearing how they do the voices and they do kind of that Eastern European Russian accents with your characters which was very cool Um, yeah they do a good job and you have male female uh, narrators so that's really cool too I uh, wanted to know what are some books that you've read in relatively recently that you're like oh my gosh you you have to read this even if it's ones that we've heard of or ones that maybe aren't as popular um what have I read recently well, I just finished listening to um, The Vanishing Stare today by Maureen Johnson. Mm. And, oh, my God. I don't – okay, I don't read or listen to mysteries a whole lot. I just don't pick them up very often. But – and this, I just – I feel like I have to warn people. It's a trilogy. It's a mystery that's a trilogy. And when I read the first one, Truly Devious, I didn't know that. Mm. And so the first one has a – like, nothing is resolved. Because the mystery is over all three books. Oh, it's the not same like, mystery. Yes. And so literally nothing gets resolved in the first one. And you get to the end and you're like, but wait, that was it? Oh um, but gosh. the second one was amazing. Um, some things get resolved, but still the ending is wild. Um, huh. And those are really those are really good audiobooks. I've listened to both of them. And I also listen to – I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks lately just because – I've been so busy that my attention span hasn't been very good for like actually reading. Mm-hmm. And I listened to Trail of Lightning by Rowan Horse, right? Yes. I've heard that book's amazing. Oh my God. It's amazing. It's urban fantasy, right? It is. It's urban fantasy, but it's also like lightly dystopian and like it's just, it's so good. And it's, that's also a really good audiobook. Um, I've been listening to a lot of like adult science fiction and fantasy. That's what I, that's, I, I alternate. I jump back and forth. I don't really do contemporary, but I will, I love reading both. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So I'm like, yep, sold. I definitely have that on my list. So that's good to know. It's awesome. It's so good. It's so good. And then, um, I can do that. I am, I can, I can pitch books for hours because I also listen to, um, Strange Practice by Vivian Shaw, which I just, I want everyone to listen to these books. It's about a woman who is a doctor for monsters and like she has vampire, what? vampire friends and a demon friend. And it's just, it's very like cozy and also super goth at the same time. And they're just so good. What's it called? It's called a uh, strange practice, strange practice. Yes. They're just amazing. Oh my gosh. That sounds awesome. I'm just really into this. Um, it's ha- it's happening mostly in adult science fiction fantasy. This this trend of very like internal, almost cozy plots. Like Anne Leckie's sci-fi. Mm. Like Provenance is very like internal and cozy. And like it's very polite and we're drinking tea. And like things are happening. But the things that are happening are like very contained on whatever characters we're following, even though it's in this vast, like, Mm -hmm. science fiction universe. Have you uh, read or her new fantasy that just came out? Yes. The Raven Tower? Yes, I have read read it yet. 
Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I have a copy. I'm looking at it right now, but I so haven't good. read it yet. Um, yeah, but I was like, oh, I'm I'm already sold. Like, I know yeah. she's amazing. So this is why I ask authors is because it's like, I also, <laughs> everyone I know could talk books. I literally should just do an episode where all the favorite book people just, we just all come on and be like, blah, 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 we love all right? the books, you know, like, uh, it's so easy. But I mean, especially like you're a librarian, you're surrounded by books, you know, so you have your finger on the pulse of publishing even more than in, in a different way than you would as a writer. So you're always yeah. seeing what's coming in and what's popping well, it's checking out what's popular so mm-hmm. that's really cool that you also are getting glimpses into that but but just what you're feeling like what you're re- like I would never have well, I don't want to say I would never have heard of that but I have not heard of that and yeah. strange practice and I absolutely will check okay. that out right now <laughs> that sounds amazing I love them so much <laughs> Emily, thank you so much for talking with me. Yeah, no problem. I loved Wicked Saints. I wanted to spread the love. I, you know, obviously it's doing well. You, like you said, you hit, you hit what, number four on the list, like first week? Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. girl, that is like crazy <laughs> awesome. It, it held on, which I was not in any way expecting. I wanted to get the word out for those who maybe have read it and wanted a little more insight into the story or those who have heard about it, but don't really know a whole lot about it. Um, wanted to kind of give them some glimpses into your process of writing this amazing book and why they should pick it up. So, um, okay. For those of you listening, I will be back next week. I have two more awesome already recorded episodes. Guys, check out Emily. We will follow, we will put her links to social media down and borrow. Get Wicked Saints. It's amazing. It is absolutely worth your time and tune in next time. Thanks guys. Bye.